internet friends and welcome back to love hate relationship an opinionated podcast for opinionated people i'm andy bowell and i'm alex ruiz and as ever we are here to brighten your day anger your soul and tell you how to live your lives in that order and andy can i be pedantic for a second you can always (laughs) be pedantic okay so we're recording this in late january this episode i think drops in early march maybe late maybe mid-february okay early march so who's to say this might not be a thing anymore, but we're in the middle of a, of an epidemic of not just COVID-19, but an epidemic of fucking sea shanty TikTok. <laughs> yeah. And I have a bone to pick with sea shanty TikTok. Oh, what bone do you have with sea shanty TikTok? Everyone keeps playing the like blow the weatherman down song. Soon may the weatherman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. And that is not technically a sea shanty. It's a jig. And I know I'm being pedantic when I say that, but for something to qualify as a sea shanty, it should be a work song used by people manning a ship. Work songs on ships had a specific purpose. You did certain rhythms depending on the kind of work. So if you had to do the kind of work where everyone had to coordinatedly hoist a sail, so they had to pull on the one and the two, then you'd you'd sing a song with beats on the one and two and three and four and one and two. That song is just a, like, drinking song. It has no, like worker purpose in its lyrical content or in its rhythm it is not a sea shanty because it is not a work song for naval workers and i am bothered by people calling it a sea shanty and multiple other tiktok songs that are not real sea shanties this is the most on-brand complaint i've ever heard you give about anything ever why why do you say that i need to know because like it's it goes so far beyond hey um that's not really a sea shanty like that is a that that song um people keep calling it a sea shanty it's not really a a sea shanty and you could end it there but you just described to me the historical reasoning and the like technical craftsmanship of this thing that hasn't been a thing for 300 years (laughs) and you knew it you knew it off the top of your damn head (laughs) all i can picture now is like in in a in another life pirate captain alex screaming at his like deck hands that they are off tempo and now the sails are unfurling in the wrong way and you're not going to catch the wind i'd just be the most bob fossey of pirate captains just like no it is one and two and three and two and one and two and three and two and ball and chain and kick and change and ball and plie and this is turning very lovely into a pirates of penzance <laughs> i mean <laughs> You know, I never loved Pirates of Penzance as as a show, and I feel like I need to give it another chance because, like, I have seen clips of great actors who I really love 
performing in Pirates of Penzance. And I'm like, I love this because it's Tim Curry. Or I love this because it's Hugh Jackman. Sure. Uh, maybe I should give Pirates of Penzance another shot. Because maybe I just watched the... Well, I watched a recording of it. Of an old Broadway version of it forever ago. And I think that I just... It was of a revival. It was very, it was played very straight. And I think I was just in that point where I hated all the old, like, Gilbert and Sullivan, Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals. Sure. Because I was a, because I was, again, a pedantic ass. Um, <laughs> so maybe I need to give it another shot. I don't know. We are very, we are very much on the precipice of TikTok the musical. And. Oh well, the Tillerman come to bring a sugar and tea and rum will be it's an, a whole number in that show. So I think it's that and Savage, exactly, and then the Carol Baskin version of Savage. Oh dear God, yes. So I think we just hold out a little bit, and there will like we can incorporate Rogers and Hammerstein into a new TikTok trend, and then this is just going to become a complete pop culture black hole. And that'll be the end of the world. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, there, there's, okay, so there's been a lot of ink spilt about the idea that uh, comedies never age well. Like in movies or TV, like comedy ages very, very poorly. Um, and, and a lot of the reason why people think that is because comedies, um, the sensibilities change. The things that you yeah. think are funny change. Sure. You know, there's there's a reason. We, we've talked about it on the show. There's a reason why, like, people thought it was, people thought Friends was so hilarious. But we look back on it now and we go, Chandler and Joey are really homophobic. And, like, it, it just it just aged poorly. Um, I love talking about Grease. Because, you know, there's a, there was a certain subset of, like, boomers who think that Grease is, like, one of the great old musicals. And it's too bad that, like, people are playing their, you know, their Spring Awakenings and their Avenue Qs now. But, like, Grease has a whole song where the lyric will be getting lots of tit and it's a real pussy wagon. Like, those are lyrics in Grease Lightning. Um... All this to say, comedy doesn't age well because sensibilities do change. Um, and I wonder that technology and references to technology also don't age well because when technology moves, it really quickly dates everything. Yeah, I can I can subscribe to that. Um, I was listening to uh, the most recent, as of this recording uh, in late January, the most recent episode of your other podcast, Cult Fiction, um, and y'all just talked about Primer, which is uh, a movie that came out in 2004, I believe. Yes. And you talk about this in your episode. You're like, okay, this movie was filmed in 1999. It took them five years to edit it. It came out in 2004. And um, cell phones are actually an important plot point in the actual story. But in even in 2004, the cell phones, the way that the cell phones looked in that movie were so dated for their time because it's a 1999 cell phone. And you guys were watching it in 2020. And even when it came out in 2004, it was like, that cell phone is really dated. Yeah, no, I'm I'm trying to formulate, I'm trying to 
wrote my thought fully into place here because you're right. And it's just, it's so fascinating. And, and I, I, this has to be true of every generation and we're just at the point where we can recognize it now. Like, like you and I are in the final moments of the generation that didn't have cell phones in elementary school mm-hmm. and didn't have a personal laptop given to you from the school that you would do all of your schoolwork on. That's some shit. That is some shit that happens nowadays. <clears throat> Fuck. Okay. Uh, a local high school recently, like, did a, a parent drive for parents to donate money so that they could get electronics and give all of their students tablets. I mean, cool. And I, you know, back in our day, they just gave us our textbooks. Yeah, you know. Then we had to give them back afterwards. And if they were in rough shape, you know, supposedly you'd have to pay for it. I don't think I ever did, even if I turned it in <laughs> in rough shape. But Well, side note, maybe that's the one benefit is you can fit all of your textbooks on, like, you know, a a school-issued laptop. And as long as you don't totally destroy that, uh, everything's going to be okay. But to your point about, like, in media, yeah, we are we are approaching this thing where it's like this... this uh, this social pop culture black hole of people trying to jump on the latest trend. And it's like, if you were to see a movie um, that came out in 2015 and a big plot point of it was like Google glass, which was the VR Google headset that had its moment for like a second. And then people were like, yeah, we're not going to actually do this. If you watch a movie from that, like it it could be a five-year-old movie, but it is now so completely dated as, oh yeah, that's when Google Glass was popular. Oh yeah, Snapchat's a big plot point in this movie. Oh yeah, they're talking about like using, um, there's a horror movie that just came out, which is all about Zoom. And theoretically in five years, it'll be like, oh yeah, that came out during the pandemic. Got it. Sure. Yeah. And so all this to say, TikTok the musical. I'm I'm sitting here talking about the sea shanty memes on TikTok right now in late January, and I'm worried that it'll be dated when this episode comes out Most in assuredly. early March. Most assuredly. So, so the TikTok musical <laughs> would be beyond dated when that came out because don't know how long most musicals take i know hamilton took seven years to write i know like wicked and book of mormon both took around five years can you imagine like five years from now talking about tiktok like when did vine die like 13 16 some somewhere in there okay so vine like, the memes that happened on Vine are already fuck-off dated. Can you imagine a Vine musical coming out right now that's just like, he was her roommate, or you almost made me drop my croissant? Like, how would those hit? I can imagine Vine being a song in the TikTok musical, and the TikTok musical <laughs> has this, like, this Urinetown meta narrative, which is actually about social media and the blink and you'll miss it um, focus that needs to be paid attention to such things. Yeah. No, and, that's and fair. And now, actually, I'm, I'm here for that musical. 
Welcome to Love Hate Relationship. Thank you for taking all of these winding twists and turns with us. Um, every episode, after a uh, just discussion of whatever falls out of our brain pans, one of us talks about something we love, the other one talks about something we hate, and then we take your internet relationship questions and give our unqualified advice for them. That's and this right. Week, and Andy, you have the love. I do have the love. And, you know, for a moment we were talking about, like, things being really dated. And we talked about a property that came out in 1999. And so speaking of both of those things, my love today is the 1999 uh, cartoon Batman Beyond. And is something, can something be dated if it takes place in the future? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. I it just, tries not to be, but imagine, like, how much forward-looking science fiction is dated as fuck. That's very fair. I was about to say, I suppose it can when you are uh, past the year that the future property is supposed to be. I, I always get a kick out of uh, going to Epcot and seeing what Walt Disney thought 1999 was going to look like. But we're not talking about Walt Disney. We are talking about Bruce Timm. And we are talking about one of his uh, Batman cartoons for the DC universe that he created. And and real Mm -hmm. quick, Alex, our comic nerddom is very well established. Yep. You might be the biggest Batman fan I know. What's up? What can you tell me about Batman Beyond? Ah, okay. So Batman Beyond. I, I was, and I was up front with you when you asked me about this topic because you originally offered it as like, do you want to do this as a as a triple? And I said to you, like, look, I liked Batman Beyond, but I did not watch it with the religiosity that I watched Batman the Animated Series. Sure. Which was um, the first of the Timverse, um, the Bruce Tim uh, DC animated cartoons. Uh, I watched the Batman that Batman show constantly. Batman Beyond was a little bit different. Um, I watched it some. I did think it was cool, um, but I never followed it because I didn't I didn't latch in with it quite the same way. But to give a basic rundown, the premise of Batman Beyond is that uh, in the in the future um, of the regular Bruce Timverse, uh, Batman Bruce Wayne is an old man. I think they establish he's in his like late seventies in that part at that point. Um, he's long since retired from being Batman, and Gotham City has turned into a shithole. I think they call it Neo Gotham. I think so. Um, yeah, yeah, and he stumbles across this kid who um, ends up with fairly similar circumstances to his own. Um, he has a parent who is murdered by uh by an actual crime uh, or crime syndicate person um and he is vengeful and you know kind of violent and and um and Bruce decides that he it, well the kid discovers the bat cave discovers that he used to be batman steals his uh super advanced technological bat suit which was the last one he had before he retired and through all these foibles this is all happens in the first like two episodes Bruce decides that he's going to take this kid under his wing um kind of play his alfred/oracle slash 
and have him be Batman and, you know, help Gotham while while Bruce um, actually, like, monitors the whole situation. And it gets convoluted. Turns out there's a big old conspiracy to even, even prior to Terry, who's the new Batman, getting involved. It's windy. I think it. I think the show lasted what five seasons, four seasons. It lasted three. It had plans for a fourth. Okay. Now, um, one thing I do know that's an interesting production point: the original concept, uh, the original, the reason why it came up was actually Cartoon Network really wanted um, them to come up with Paul and wanted Paul Dini and Bruce Tim to come up with a new Batman show, and they wanted it to be a young Bruce Wayne. They wanted it to be like a Batman Origins, Batman in high school, um, Batman with like. Like, as a teenager, and there'd be, like, Teenage Joker and Teenage Riddler and, you know, Teenage Harley Quinn all there in the high school. And, like, initial initial mock-ups were done for this, but they really didn't want to do it. They really preferred the idea of doing—they weren't against doing a young Batman story, but they didn't want to do young Bruce Wayne. So from that premise, they created everything for Batman Beyond. You know, I didn't know that. And there are a lot of things I don't agree with about Bruce Tim, but I agree with his decision to not do X-Men Evolution, but Batman and to instead make Batman Beyond. Yeah. I mean, I loved X-Men Evolution. I really did. But like Batman Beyond is the great thing about Batman Beyond is that it was original in a time when there was very little of that out there in in the cartoons yes absolutely and that that is a lot to do with why i love it so much and so thank you for that like that was a very um that was a very good primer for anybody completely unfamiliar about like the core conceit of the show it is future gotham bruce wayne is the old man behind the computer and there's a new batman and he is his own person with his own gadgets and his own um villains Mm -hmm. now for just just to re- read what I wrote down here, for those of you who don't know, Batman Beyond is an animated cartoon series uh, as a pseudo sequel to Batman the Animated Series and part of the Bruce Tim and Paul Dini universe of DC cartoons. Uh, premiered in 1999, and it was actually on my seventh birthday, which I didn't know until uh, looking into that. But that's fun. <laughs> I love that. Um, The series takes place in a future version of Gotham with Bruce Wayne as an elderly broken man and the mantle of the bat falling to newcomer Terry McGinnis with a whole Mm -hmm. new set of wonderful toys, a rogues gallery of brilliant creative villains, both new and old. Mm-hmm. And I did watch this one. Like I, I, I of course watched Batman the Man, the animated series. But like, like I said, this show premiered on my seventh birthday. So I was growing up. I was you know seven, eight, nine, ten throughout its entire run of the show. So this was something that was on every Saturday morning, and I probably watched every episode as a kid. And then when the uh, Blu-ray re-release remaster of the entire series came out a few years ago you know i bought that entire thing and binged watched it straight up i love it because it has all of the things that i've talked about on this show about enjoying or having problems with when comics don't do this it it has legacy it has it, it moves batman forward past bruce wayne you know, mm-hmm. um, 
I, I think it's fair to say that Bruce Tim is probably the most influential creator to the bat mythos that isn't a film director, you know, isn't Christopher Nolan or isn't Tim Burton. And I might argue more. I, I yeah, I, I think it depends on how much you uh, watched the cartoon growing up versus how much you watched the movies. Um, sure. Batman beyond served as the first real continuation of his DC universe. You know, you, you had Batman, the, the animated series, you had a single season of the new Batman animated adventures, which was still everybody. They just look kind of different. We hadn't mm-hmm. gotten to the justice league and justice league unlimited cartoons yet. And so here we had Batman beyond, which was this brand new, wholly unique thing. Mm-hmm. I love that we moved beyond Bruce Wayne even though he was still included, the show became not so much about him as it was like in his relationship to his legacy. And we had a new character with a new voice and was able to like explore that dynamic. I always thought it was a stroke of genius. I thought having a new world to explore was great. New villains who are just as fun as anyone else, but then they would also find reasons to throw in old villains like sure. fittingly enough, there's an episode where Mr. Freeze is cryogenically frozen and then resurrected. And so you get a Mr. Freeze episode, you get Jason blood and Clary and the witch boy because they're immortal Ooh. magic users. And I have such deep affection for Jason blood and Etrigan that like, even just in the comics, that's one of my favorite characters. And the very first time I experienced either of those characters was in the episode they are in and Batman beyond. And so I had this moment where I was like, okay, this is weird. This is weird. And this guy says he's immortal. And, um, and, and somehow I don't think I had the internet yet. Somehow I found out like these were pre-established legacy characters from like DC mythos. And it was mind blowing that they were just mm-hmm. like organically fed into the show that takes place in the future. Um, and of course the Batman beyond movie, Batman beyond return of the Joker is mm-hmm. one of my favorite bat adventures period of all time. Hello. Gotham, Joker's back in town. (laughs) That movie features possibly my favorite, just like... That movie has one moment that I think encapsulates the greatness of the character of Terry McGinnis. I think I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. Okay. Spoilers for... Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Um, there is a scene at the, during the climactic final fight. Batman Terry McGinnis is fighting a what is a what is effectively an enhanced Joker because it's Joker with like all of the martial arts skills and all the fighting tactics and all the abilities of a Bruce Wayne trained um, Tim Drake. Tim. Yep. And, and he's, he's fighting and, and he's getting his ass handed to him. Terry's getting his ass handed to him. And he's talking to Bruce via the, like, tele, during, via the telecom thing. And, and Bruce says a thing where he goes, um, he likes to talk, just ignore him. And Terry goes, 
wait a minute. I like to talk. T and Terry ultimately ends up winning the fight because he baits Joker. He mocks him. He makes fun of him. He makes him feel inadequate. He talks about all the ways that he just couldn't take down the old school Batman. And now he's failing to take down the new Batman until he loses control and gets sloppy. Terry wins. Bruce could never ultimately defeat the Joker. The way that the Joker is quote unquote killed, and this is the very beginning of the movie, is after he destroys Tim. Tim is ultimately the one who takes him down, but he still comes back. He finds a way to come back. So Bruce never wins against the Joker. Terry wins against the Joker not by being a better Bruce, but by being himself, by embracing the aspects of himself that Joker never planned for. Because as far as Joker was concerned, Bruce was the end-all, be-all, and the only thing that could ever, like, nothing could ever supersede Bruce's tactics. And he doesn't account for the fact that Terry is his own man with his own tactics and his own style. And it's the fact that Terry is not Bruce that makes him win, that allows him to win. And it's, that's just, that is beautiful writing. That is perfect writing. And that is writing that you take three seasons of a TV show to get to. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better. You, you've encapsulated so much why I love Terry McGinnis. And he is maybe, I think in a vacuum, I prefer Terry to Bruce. And, and a big part of it is because of this show. And a big part of it is, you know, because of what you talked about, he is his own person. And, and just in comparison, Terry McGinnis was such a fun breath of fresh air and such a new, different character. You know, he was basically, he, he was a lot more like Spider-Man than Bruce Wayne with yeah. the, you know, the fact that he was trying yeah. to juggle being a real person, being a high schooler and being a superhero. He had this snarky, youthful exuberance of any of the Robins, you know, Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, but also at the same time had like the noble spirit and the like deep down, he's kind of a delinquent, but he's a delinquent with a heart of gold and he wants to do the right thing. He has the tragic dark maturity of Bruce um, mm -hmm. and comes together and balances those two aspects in a way that works out. Terry McGinnis never has a Robin because he never needs a sidekick, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the comparison to Spider-Man is really, really apt. Um, the Spider-Man animated series came out a little bit after Batman, the animated series. And, and that show doesn't get enough, like, credit. I think everyone always likes to talk about X-Men, the animated series, but the Spider-Man animated series was freaking solid. It was, it absolutely solid. was. And a lot of that is the is just the quippiness and the jokes. And Terry had jokes. Terry was able to be what Robin frequently was for Batman, which was the funny one, the one who made quips. Exactly. And and so it's just it, it becomes this enjoyable thing. Like, you know, you watch Batman the animated series and you're a little kid, and it's so like it's so awesome to watch this guy figure stuff out and, and be a detective and like outsmart his enemies and, and figure out a thing. But there was always just such a, like Bruce Wayne is an adult. And then you get Terry 
and, and yeah. you're still a kid, but you're a little bit older of a kid. And Terry is a high schooler. And so the age gap becomes so much like it becomes so much more relatable, uh, much in the same way, like to that same point, I never watched a whole lot of static shock, but I can I understand that it's very much the same idea of a relatable mm-hmm. DC superhero. And so that's always been really fun. Um, you know, Batman Beyond, his villains were fun and interesting. And I really think hold up on their own as much as any of the original Batman rogues gallery. The only problem is because, you know, they're in this future universe. People work with them so much less, but you know, it wasn't always okay. This is a dark reflection of Batman. Uh, Scarecrow is a dark reflection of how Batman uses fear Mr. Freeze is a dark reflection of, of Batman doing what he does because of the loss of a loved one. Please tell me how, please tell me how Killer Croc is a dark reflection uh, of Batman. A monstrous visage. <laughs> uh, and then I threw a rock at him. Um, but, you know, that that's always been the thing that people say about like, oh, Batman has the best rogues gallery because they are all like dark reflections of his subconscious. Batman Beyond's rogues gallery were very much not a reflection of Terry McGinnis's subconscious, but they were all still super imaginative and unique. And you had characters like ink who was basically like, if you mixed Catwoman and Clayface, you would get ink. Um, you had killer shrike who was this like, your classic brilliant inventor guy. And he makes this thing that lets him, you know, use sound waves as force fields or blades or whatever, and then loses his funding and goes nuts and decides, okay, I'm going to be a giant tech assassin. Um, the primary antagonist of the show was this guy called blight who in the context of the show was actually, this CEO millionaire mogul and was the guy who was Bruce Wayne's successor at Wayne enterprises and, you know, changed it to Wayne powers Mm -hmm. because his name was Derek powers, but he's this, this rich dude who just like keeps messing with science stuff until it turns him into this blue skinned skeletal, like radioactive monster. And it was always just, it was Mm -hmm. fun. The villains were so much more like what's something we can do that is, creative and unique oh we have an assassin whose sword is like an atom wide and so the sword can cut through anything because it it slices through shit on a molecular level oh we have um this this let's critique the future and we have this guy who turned himself into a computer program and then like is running around as this evil computer program trying to take over his son's company and erase his brain and be immortal and let's throw in mr freeze let's throw in the royal flush gang let's throw in all this stuff that like people if they're paying attention and they're big enough comic book nerds like you and i grew up to be they would go oh oh i know that it's very you know his terry's rogues gallery is very spider-man yeah absolutely like like ink and hydro man have a lot of carryover with one another you know your your description of killer shrike i mean that's kind of dr octopus and the spot like 
These are these are this this is a Spider-Man lens applied to a Batman universe. I never thought about that, but it's it's you're absolutely right. It's it's a Spider-Man universe with Batman lens or a, a Batman color palette. Um and also it's the future, because why not? And you know, you want to talk yeah. about how we figured out you can date the future. I, I looked it up. Batman Beyond takes place in the far off year of 2019. <laughs> so that's fun. Hey, listen, 1984 came 1984 was published in 1949. Mm, so what are you going to do? It was just it was a fun dynamic. It was it was it was fun and interesting and engaging to have a new thing you could talk about that thing being, you know, the struggles of a new character, the struggles of a high schooler trying to be Batman or even just the regret and the like bitterness that Bruce Wayne had as he became like obsessed with trying to fight for justice his way and eventually failing you know the the very first thing that happens in the show is you get like a 45 year old or a a 50 year old bruce wayne and he's fighting a mugger and he gets his ass handed to him and he has we've talked about this on the show in fact he he has to pull a gun to like make sure that somebody doesn't put a crowbar in his brain and that's the moment he quits being Batman and then spends 20 years being a broken old recluse before meeting somebody who gives him the like spirit to continue the mission of Batman and fight for justice. Okay, so you've read um, The Dark mm-hmm. Knight Returns, right? Okay, so for those who don't know, um, The Dark Knight Returns is a Frank Miller comic. Uh, it's considered one of the greatest bats, Batman stories ever told. And it is very, very good. Um, and it's about an old Batman, an old retired Batman who comes out of retirement um, to fight himself. And he gets a new Robin and and it, it's a whole and it's a futuristic Gotham and all of this stuff. The do, do not read the sequels to Return of the Dark Knight because they emphasize how Frank Miller is a giant fucking racist. Oh, God, they're so bad. But um, in a lot of ways, this kind of takes that initial premise from Return of from The Dark Knight Returns and puts a more hopeful lens on it. The Dark Knight Returns is basically about a man who is so driven that he will destroy his own body and the bodies of those who stand in his way in order to complete the mission that he set out for as a young man batman beyond as far as bruce's story is concerned is about that same commitment to the mission but about the idea that this can live on beyond me i cannot do this anymore i am at the point now where to do this i have to compromise everything that i am but i don't have to compromise everything that i am to continue the mission if i put my hope into this Fu- in, into the future of this one extraordinary young man. 
who has demonstrated to me how extraordinary his potential is. And I can further his potential and my mission can move forward in that way by me creating a better future and not grabbing the future by the throat because god damn it i am the goddamn batman <laughs> batman beyond is the dark knight returns without cynicism and with hope yeah yeah it it, it really is and that's part of why i like it you know the, to, to wrap up this sort of this kind of has a personal connection to me and and i'll explain what i mean by that like every Batman cartoon that has come out since justice league unlimited has been a reboot and its own universe and its own thing. Um, I can think of three of them there. there, There's the Batman there's Batman brave and the bold. And then there's one that is like CGI cell shaded. And I haven't even paid attention to beware the Batman. Batman. Which is apparently pretty okay. On their own, but, they're yeah. all... I've heard very good things about all of them, but they are all, like, their own universe. You know, every every Avengers cartoon is its own spin on the Avengers. Every X-Men cartoon has been a different take on the X-Men. I've talked so much about my biggest problem with modern superhero cartoons and comics and, and everything is the the lack of proper legacy and it's just always like okay every 30 issues we reboot every three years we reset and we keep the same characters and we let somebody else do a thing with them and no matter the quality that always loses something for me batman beyond Mm -hmm. was literally in the middle of Bruce Tim's universe. He had two shows before it and there were two shows that came after it. And I grew up watching these mm-hmm. shows in the order they came out in, you know, that culminated with the last episode of justice league unlimited, which is about Terry McGinnis and takes place in the future. Yeah. And that's where you get the spoilers. Um, the reveal that Terry McGinnis is a clone of Bruce Wayne that Amanda Waller like manipulated things to make that happen and to make sure that his dad died and had the same tragic backstory. And she wanted to put to the test, can you create a Batman and basically succeeded? You know, it was this, this culminative, I don't know if that's a word, this culminative moment that happened right as I was like, 12 and a half or 13 it was it was right at the end of like okay i'm i'm gonna stop watching cartoons for a bit but i got to the end of Mm. this universe this arc this story and terry mcginnis was there and batman beyond was there and it was one final moment to have with that you know batman beyond has has survived Mm -hmm. as uh, its own comic series that i haven't read but it, it keeps all the continuity from the show and I've heard very good things about it. But like just as the cartoon, sure. because I, I'm here today to talk about the cartoon. I got to close the chapter on that thing and nobody has done something quite like that. Set up a universe spanning multiple shows since then. And so for that reason, it will always have a very soft spot to me. 
I'm so mad that I have to follow this up with me being mad at shit because this is so <laughs> lovely, Andy. <laughs> well, that's kind of the nature of our show, my friend. <laughs> I know. It's just... Ugh. I think that's a beautiful note to end this topic on. Well, thank you. Yeah. You ready to get into something a little shittier? Yeah, because this one's interesting, I think. Okay. Okay. Um, so as ever, I like to open with a question. So my opening question here, dear boy, very simply, you have a home with internet. Who is your internet service provider? And relatedly, how do you feel about them? Yeah, so my internet service provider is Spectrum. Um, And if you're in Florida or the greater Southeast, you probably use Spectrum. It, It used to be Bright House and... In Orlando especially, and I I think most of Florida, the kind of running joke is it doesn't matter what you think of Spectrum because they're the only fucking option. So you better feel okay about it. Uh Um, My greater understanding is that Spectrum isn't a particularly good internet service provider, but... I don't really have any option. I just, just, I don't know if you're going to talk about this, but just real quick to answer your question. I only very recently discovered that like overseas in, in Europe and Asia, like internet pro- providers and general like bandwidth numbers just blow all of America's out of the water. And I was very upset to learn about that. Yup. But so that is my answer. Okay, I appreciate that. I also have Spectrum. I think it's called Charter Spectrum here. I did not know that it used to be Bright House, so I appreciate you telling me that. Um, but you you hit exactly where my topic is going here. Okay. Um, I I my my hate topic for this particular episode, dear boy, is ISP monopolies, internet service provider monopolies. And I use the term monopolies, plural, very, very mindfully. So to give a kind of basic background, it was not that long ago that there was a lot of news and hand-wringing during the Trump administration and even before that about net neutrality. And, you know, rightly so. It is an important topic and it needs consideration. It is a problem for the for it to be in any way allowable or legal for certain internet service providers to throttle internet speeds to certain websites they need that 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 neutrality that idea that they can't select who you're going to be able to access or affect your degree of access to certain websites or certain web content content is hopelessly problematic mm. but Something that already exists as a severe issue in this country is the regional monopolization that those various internet service providers have. And that is what I want to talk about here. So, in short, we have antitrust laws in this country, which explicitly exist to prevent one or a small handful of companies from being the only game in town when it comes to providing certain goods or services, uh, and therefore manipulating their said markets. Sure. So 
the idea is that by insisting there be quote unquote competition in the market, prices will be kept from exploding. Uh, and there will be an incentive to provide good service. This is a cornerstone of capitalist thinking, right? Yes. So the idea of you go to McDonald's and they do a shitty job at that McDonald's making your food, you can go, all right, screw this. I'm never coming to this McDonald's again. I'm going to go to the Wendy's across the street. <laughs> that is such a wonderful example. And I was so waiting for you to about to say Burger King instead of Wendy's. So I could say that's such a bad example because I don't think I've had a good meal from Burger King in 15 years. I have, I never liked Burger King and Burger King had an actual fast food vegan whopper like i can go and get a beyond meat whopper right now and i still won't get it because it's still a fucking whopper <laughs> but go on but that's that's the theory now in practice i don't think anyone really cares that much like i don't know a single mcdonald's employee who's gonna be like oh oh lordy you're gonna go to the wendy's oh how will we ever survive like it doesn't happen that way but let's pretend for a second they do the other the other example that came into my head is like you got hanes and you got fruit of the loom who's gonna who, who are you gonna buy the underwear for sure okay i like that example very much because i I couldn't tell you which, and I couldn't tell you what I would choose, but I definitely care about what my underwear feels like a lot more. Sure. And, and you know, there is such a thing as preference. Um, actually, one of my favorite, one of my favorite points here to talk about, um, I'm very sorry, mother, uh, is condom brands. Um, as someone who, you know, is very, very, um, deep into the sex education field and into the con into the people should have access to contraception field i have very strong opinions about condom brands mm -hmm. and i'm just gonna say it trojans break more but they also have a bigger advertising budget than every other condom brand so even though they are the shittiest of your big three condom brands between lifestyles trojans and um Oh, what's Endurex? Yeah. Even though they're the shittiest one, they have the biggest marketing budget, so they make the most money. More people buy Trojans than any other brand, which is stupid because they're the shittiest one. Trojan man. Trojan man, I'm not really into labels like bear or otter. Just an example of how markets are easily manipulatable. That's a thing yeah, I like to course. say. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, yeah, we we could talk for hours about like how a good marketing PR team will do literally anything for you over the quality of your product. Exactly. So let's pretend for a second that that whole idea that with competition in the market, you know, that that'll keep prices low and it'll incentivize good service. Let's pretend for a moment that that's not a really stupid assumption. It is, but we'll pretend it's not. Mm-hmm. How is a company supposed to get around these restrictions and still do the thing? They can cut deals to limit competition in certain markets so that they can still price gouge. And so that when people can complain, they can still shrug and say, hey, 
Who else are you going to go to? Right, which clearly is what has to be the case because gun to my head, I could not tell you who another internet provider is other than Spectrum in Florida. I will tell you right now, and I know this because this is my parents' ISP. My parents have AT&T. Okay, and yeah, I, that makes sense. And I, and I know this. My, so my parents are in Orlando where you are. Um, I'm up here in North Carolina, and the two games in town are Charter Spectrum and AT&T. There are literally two ISPs we have to choose from. Supposedly, that's that's the competition. I've talked to friends in um, the Northeast, and up there it's Comcast. Everything is Comcast. Maybe there'll be another one that's kind of there but has a much smaller market share, technically. But it's Comcast all the way down. And if you've listened to enough, like, NPR podcasts or podcasts produced in New York City, inevitably someone will try and slip in the joke about how shitty Comcast's customer service is. Yep. Because it's kind of like comedians talking about flying on airlines. Every comedian has, like, their airline jokes because comedians travel so much so inevitably when you're flying you know 50 weeks out of the year you'll have you'll rack up enough experiences that you'll get some good stories and with those good stories you can come up with some good comedy bits if you are working or making art using the internet in New York City you have dealt with how shitty Comcast is you and I have dealt with how shitty Spectrum is and Spectrum is shitty and yet here I am using it because my only other option is AT&T. And frankly, AT&T, number one, their reviews aren't any better. Number two, their prices are significantly higher. So to follow the math here, the logical assumption is Bright House uses a portion of their revenue to cut a deal with AT&T and basically pays AT&T to advertise less because i certainly like it's it's at&t and i didn't even realize that they were doing that and also change their rates around so that bright house is the more favorable so technically if you don't like bright house you can always go to at&t it's an objectively worse decision but you could do it honey it's not even about cutting the money it's I scratch your back, you scratch mine. In this market, Spectrum Spectrum gets more of the business and AT&T has everything set up shittier. In another market, AT&T will get to have that market. In another market, Comcast gets to have the share. And there's just enough presence of other things so that when the FCC comes snooping around or the regulators come snooping around, they can point and go, no, look, I have competition. It's right there. We're just really good here. And that's why we do so well. Thanks, I hate it. That's how it be, son. Like, they... A monopoly is an objectively terrible thing. Like, they're... the antitrust laws were huge about this. And, you know, it's a big reason why, you know, when Sprint and T-Mobile merged, there was a big deal made about it needing to be approved by the antitrust courts. 
Mm. Because when you, because if enough of these things just fucking merge and merge and merge, when 20th Century Fox was bought by Disney, that had to pass through the regulatory bodies because at a certain point, it's, are you so big that you're not actually being competed with? And you just can control all of the market share. Case in point, if Disney wanted to, they could probably buy Netflix. Huh. Netflix has never been a very profitable stock. Disney could, without much difficulty, like, they take a hit for a year, but they could buy Netflix. There's no way, though, that the FCC would abide that. Because if Disney had Disney+, Plus, Hulu, which they have, and Netflix... The only what what other streaming services are there? HBO, they don't they'd control so much of that market share that they could charge whatever they wanted for Netflix. And effectively speaking, if you want streaming, you'd have to pay it. So we have these antitrust laws. Sure, but but for an ISP because it's based on certain geographical regions, they can get away with these negotiations. And as long as they don't they're not trying to be the biggest as long as they have accepted, we will never be the only game in town. We legally can't be. They can just say, "Okay, well we can be the biggest game in town here. Let these folks be the biggest game in town here. Let these folks be the biggest game in town here, and we'll make our profits by cutting back on service." not bothering to invest in faster internet because that's a big reason why it's so much faster overseas because here internet is shitty because there's no incentive to actually try and make it faster or better why mm, why indeed just keep reminded, raising the prices yeah i i'm reminded of um the only movie I've ever worked on was Sharknado 3. And I worked on it because it filmed on location at Universal Studios. And I remember uh, having a conversation with one of the like associate producers or something. And then basically being like, Oh yeah, so you know there there was some dinner party, and the um, there was some some executive Comcast dinner party, and the guy who uh, was the VP uh, owner of Universal was talking to the guy who was the VP owner of the Sci-Fi Channel, and was like, "Tell you what, I'll cut you a deal, man. Come make the movie at the theme park. It'll be way under budget and and party." And the only reason Sharknado Three actually filmed at Universal Studios was because there was some handshake deal for the company that owned both of those properties, and that's the only reason anything happened there. Uh-huh. This sounds like a much more infuriating, depressing and long-term version of that practice yep and 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 that's the thing it's <sighs> regulation on certain industries is is really helpful and and can always be manipulated laws are made by people they can be manipulated the thing about it is or, or the thing that maybe puts me not just in... I, I'm angry that this exists. I hate it 
because the path out of it requires a complete rethinking of how we look at the internet. Mm. Not because ISPs are some giant, crazy, different kind of company. They're not. They aren't. But the problem is they're treated like your standard basic kind of service providers, like they're a store or like they are a delivery service. Yeah. And like they aren't administrators of what at this point should be a utility. For my power, I've got Duke Energy, which is a private company. But because electricity is a utility, the regula- the regulations on them are very, very different. Same thing with water companies. In some cases, you have municipal water. In some cases, you have private companies. Either way, water is deeply regulated because if you don't have water and electricity, especially where I live, where it snows, you can die. Now, if you don't have internet, are you going to die? No. Admittedly. Well, okay, Um, I want to see where you go here. And if you don't make a point, I have one. Well, here's the thing. Um, you could argue the same thing about electricity when it's not winter. Like you, you, you earnestly could, um, that, that you won't die without it. But Andy, how many aspects of your life and livelihood depend on the internet? Yeah, this is where I was going to make sure we went. Cause I mean, my entire livelihood relies on the internet because 90% of the content I create for my career is played in some way, shape or form over the internet. And there's an overlapping metric where probably 75% of that is transferred over the internet. I actually had to do a project the other day where the client refused to um, take the the video footage we shot and was just like, no, 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 send it over Google Drive to the people in Denver. That's how I want you to do this. So without the internet, everybody involved with that project would maybe not be SOL, but it would certainly be like a lot harder to accomplish. Sure. And I'll be, a, and I will say this up front. Um, you and I both make our livings in jobs that existed pre-internet. Mm-hmm. Pre-internet, you know, there was video production. People did what you did, what you do. Yeah, they did it. They did it analog, and they, you know, transferring those same that same information instead of pu- uploading it to a Google Drive, you'd have to make a hard copy and mail it. I, you know, I work in, I work for a housing authority. I have dug through old files looking for old contracts and I have found reports that I have just clicked and printed off of a computer program. I have seen the way they were done on carbon paper back in the nineties Yeah, because those copies are still in our folders. They're still in our files. I have seen how my job was done pre-internet. I think it was probably a lot more hassle. A lot more things were done by hand. A lot more, like, I have, I actually had to learn how to use an adding machine with my job. Because every time we do calculations for anything, we have to add our math, basically. Like, I, have, I still have remnants of that. 
but both of our partners work from home, Andy. Mm-hmm. And they would not be able to do those jobs without the internet. Sure. Like, that's, that's, so, so more than half of our incomes because, like, both of us have partners who have better, more high-paying <laughs> careers than we have. This is true, um, and this is a bad time to point out we don't do paid ads on this show. <laughs> no, no, we don't. <laughs> we should. We've been talking about it. We just, eh. we're lazy. Um, but, but the point is, like, in this pandemic neither of our partners would be able to do their jobs. Sure. My partner wouldn't be able to do her job, period. Because her job involves the internet. It's about the internet. She works in email. So, at this point, the internet is so essential to the infrastructure of just our day-to-day lives. You know, without any effort, I can name more than a dozen people in my life who would not be making their living right now if it weren't for the internet. Right. It is only slightly less important than water and heat. Yeah, and I mean, to bring this back to what we literally rambled about during the cold cold open, and I uh, I promise this wasn't intentional, it is becoming a thing where, like, we cannot... Our society is changing into a way where we need the internet to provide education for our kids. Yeah, like we are becoming a fully cyber society. Yeah, if we're not already a, there. Sure, and in a pandemic world, like frankly, uh, we order in delivery on a lot of our groceries because we're trying not to spread a fucking plague, and the internet has made managing said plague at least theoretically so much easier it would help if people would take the additional steps required in an analog sphere um, because masks are analog but um but that's the point this at this point if you're not going to treat this like a public utility and you absolutely should but even if you're not going to do that you should at least update your antitrust and commerce laws such that this shit can't happen because our internet is slower than it needs to be. The service for it is garbage. There is no market competition. Like I'm not even a capitalist and I'm sitting here needing to explain to capitalists that you are ca- that you are doing capitalism wrong. Which is always a fun spot to be in. Oh, it's so much fun. It's <laughs> like with with love and respect to you and yours, my dear sweet darling boy. It's like when I have to correct Christians Bible quotations <laughs> or explain to them that certain things aren't in the Bible. And then I and then I get to watch them Google it in front of me and it's it's oh, it's beautiful. Um it's Is this the thing that's going to destroy the world? No. A lot of our hates aren't. But it is a thing that, at this point, we don't have these conversations about it. And there's a lot of people who are patting themselves on the back right now because Joe Biden is president of the United States. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've read the Biden platform. The Biden platform absolutely has a section for net neutrality. They are happy to talk about net neutrality. Oh my god, are you fucking me? Andy, what? 
Yeah. We need to we need to keep this in. Literally, as I am on the phone with you, I'm getting a call from Charter Spectrum. <laughs> because once every couple of weeks, they call me to ask me if I want to bundle my internet and TV services and a landline phone. For those of you who are in our younger demographic, a landline phone is like if you can't take your cell phone out of your house. You might have seen them at your parents' job. If you've ever seen an old movie, that's... <laughs> at, like, if you've ever watched Wes Craven's Scream, that, uh, that, that, that block that Drew Barrymore is talking into at the very beginning... That's that's a that's was a that Drew Barrymore? Line. Yeah, that's Drew Barrymore. Was that Drew Barrymore? Yes. Yeah. That that block that Drew Barrymore was talking into at the in the kitchen. That's a that's a landline. Uh, hello. Why don't you want to talk to me? Who is this? Um <laughs> literally, I'm talking to you about ISPs and Charter Spectrum calls. I've saved their number so I know to ignore it. I've tried to block it. It still comes through. Um, Jesus Christ! You can't write it. And you know what? I and I've I, and I've taken the call before. I actually have, just to kind of like figure out what was going on, and because I would get these calls, and you know they were like, "Hi, who is your television provider?" And I'm like, "I don't have one. I use the internet." Oh, but how do you watch all your favorite shows? Honey, I know you have a spiel. I get it. I've worked a call center. I'm sorry. I'm not I'm not the one you want. And then it's real funny cuz they've also taken that call and they'll talk to me in Spanish because we're in the south and they're like this one's got a brown last name. Uh, good on you for apologizing, I guess. It's really uh, all I got there. I just <sighs> I want to wrap this topic up and get to our question, but it's it's the Biden administration has a net neutrality policy and, mm. you know, it's fine. It's a fine net neutrality policy. This is not on their docket. This is not anywhere in their policies. It's not. And, and I think and I honestly do think this comes down to the fact that our lawmakers are I think the average congressperson's age is uh, like mid fifties, mid fifties or early sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a generation that is aware of the internet, but I don't think they take the internet as seriously as they need to. I don't think they comprehend it as being a utility, as being something that is so essential to life that. Honestly, for some people, it is a matter of livelihood, of life and death. And I like that conversation to happen. Um, You know, this has been a topic that's been on my radar, and I'll link to this. Um, There's a John Oliver piece that he did about this very topic. I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, It's like a half-hour YouTube video. Like, I do recommend watching it. It's got a lot of great info in it. Mm -hmm. But this needs to be part of that conversation. You know, every time, every time stories would come up about Disney buying 20th Century Fox or T-Mobile and Sprint merging or anything like that, I always think about this topic and I go, all right, we don't want monopolies, but we're okay with a 
like a, a smattering of regional monopolies existing right here just because it's not all over the fucking country. As long as the lawmakers and everybody whose job it is to care gets a piece of the pie. Yeah, clearly not. So that's my topic, Andy. I don't know if you have any final notes. I don't know if you have any hopeful notes. I'm just <laughs> mad about this and I wanted to yell about it because it's just, it's just, there's no movement on it. And at the very least, if they're, if there can't be movement on it, at least let me vent a little bit. And yeah, I appreciate I mean, you letting me vent. Of course. No, get out the poison, my friend. It's okay. Oh. Um, the only thing I could I could say really to wrap up is I guess I'm thankful that um, net neutrality is as protected as it has been. And Ajit Pai was, you know, turned down under under not only the Obama administration, but I'm pretty sure a second time under the Trump administration. And mm -hmm. it feels weird to give any sort of credit period, but the fact that we aren't even over more of a barrel when it comes to our internet and the things that we can use the internet for, I suppose all I can really say is I'm glad it's not worse because it could be. I'll leave it at that. Hmm. Shall we get to this question? Yeah, this is uh, this is coming to us from our friends at relationship.txt. And we always like um, to have listeners send in our questions. And, you know, we always promise anonymity. But it's also interesting at times to turn to the Internet. I dug up this one and there this is an interesting one. This isn't very black and white to me. So I'm excited to talk about it. I'm just mad that we already used Zach and Mary for uh, for a name. <laughs> All right. Uh, I am pretty sure that my girlfriend's father just found a couple of our sex tapes. A long story short, my girlfriend's parents decided to reuse her five-year-old iPhone that's been sitting in a drawer for the past couple years and give it to her grandfather. We have a couple short videos on her camera roll. And against my wishes of putting them in a fake calculator vault, she left them there. I assume her father plugged the phone in and while still synced to her iCloud, updated the full camera roll and decided to go snooping. She's at her parents right now and he is pissed and is going to talk to her about it right now. The fuck do I do? I love the hell out of her and have been dating her for about eight months. I know her father, though, and this seems like something I'm not going to be able to come back from, even though I've set amazing impressions on him about everything else. School, jobs, being courteous, etc. I guess I can set that all on fire, lol. I don't want to break up with her. I also know I can't ever show my face around her house ever again. Someone toss me a noose. And that's how this ends. Not with an actual question just um but but this was put on relationships.txt so I, I i'm going to count it and and technically he does ask the fuck do i do sure so the, the first thing we need to do is give this person a name okay so 23 year old male with his 21 year old female girlfriend um hmm and the father is not really happy. Um, the first thing that I think of is meet the parents, but what do you think, Andy? Do you have something better? 
Well, I was just trying to think of like, I can't remember who we've pulled from the American pie universe. If we've pulled Jason Biggs or if this was something like if this was a stifler situation, but it would be a, a stifler who cared enough to have a relationship. I'm not mad about meet the parents that that sets the scene pretty well. I don't remember any of the characters names. Uh, I remember Ben Stiller's name is Greg because he goes by Greg because his name is Gaylord Fokker. So he goes by Greg. That's um, right. I'm looking it up now. Robert De Niro is Jack. Uh, his girlfriend, De Niro's uh, daughter, it, played by Terry Polo, is Pam. So I'm good with Greg Fokker. Yeah, Greg Fokker. Because this, I mean, this seems like it could happen in a Meet the Parents prequel. Oh, dear God, thank you. You are such a good God. Sure. So um, to recap, uh, we have Greg, his girlfriend Pam, and her dad Jack. Um, And when Jack pulled out uh, Pam's old cell phone to gift to her grandfather... Um, it most, it looks like it updated the iCloud and the stuff on Pam's camera roll on her own phone went, uh, uh, went and updated on the camera roll for the old iPhone. And now we're pretty sure Jack has seen his daughter and Greg in all manners of compromise. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. To, to make it as short and succinct as possible, um, Greg's girlfriend's dad accidentally found sex tapes that were left on a phone. Mm-hmm. So Alex, do you have any nuggets you want to go first about, or if not, um, I've got something. Well, I'm, I'm going to just start with this. Um, some of what you say is a little, I, I think a little old fashioned to me. Namely, when you're like, I can't ever show my face around her house ever again. And I've, I I don't know how I'm going to come back from this. And it's like, bruh, you're an adult. Your girlfriend is an adult. This is an embarrassing situation. Indeed. And, and I can absolutely see the world. Uh, Like you've been dating eight months. Um, I, I assume you're not like getting ready to get married serious i don't feel like you, you don't communicate that you you say that you do love her um but you have been dating less than a year if things get serious with the two of you like if you see a long-term commitment in this um her dad might never like you ooh oh no <laughs> You are, you, you, you are potentially, you are with his daughter and he doesn't like you. Oh no. How will we ever serve? Who gives a fuck, dude? Like there, there, most people I know, most heteronormative cis couples I know who are together long term, there is at least one direction in which one member of the couple does not like at least one of the parents. And it yeah. is mutual. 
or one or more of the parents don't like the other partner. That is in most heteronormative cis couples I have ever encountered. Granted, yours has a story behind it. But if her dad is unable to look past that and can't understand that this is, yes, a shitty accident, probably very uncomfortable for him, but that also his daughter's a fucking adult, um, then her dad's a little bitch. So don't worry about him. It's embarrassing. Continue to be polite and courteous. Um, you know, mind all of mind all your P's and Q's, still be a good person. But if he doesn't like you because of this, or if he tries to like get in between your relationship with your again fully adult girlfriend, fuck him. Who cares? Andy? Yeah, that's a, a good chunk of what I was going to say, but I also want to address something. There's there's a tone that I read into this guy writing in, that I read into Greg's question that I really don't like. You know, it talks about his girlfriend went against his wishes and didn't hide the porn well enough. Um is what that boils down to and just left them on an old phone, which I mean, I think kind of in defense of Pam here is an old ass phone and has been left in a, a, a drawer for a long time. Now I would well, say, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, she didn't leave it on the phone. She left it on her camera roll in her own phone. So when the old phone updated iCloud, the stuff that's on her current phone in the camera roll got uploaded to the old gotcha. phone. Gotcha. Okay, that wasn't immediately clear to me. Got yeah. it. Okay. He, he he wanted to put it into he wanted her to put it into a separate folder on the phone so it wasn't on the iCloud camera roll. And she didn't do that. Or she didn't want to do that. Fake calculator vault I think means like a folder that you make look like a calculator app. Yeah, yeah, that that part I understand. I guess just there's an air of like my girlfriend messed up and didn't do what she was supposed to and didn't do what I would have done and now we're in this situation and there's something that rubs me wrong about that. It it, it was certainly I was certainly a little more annoyed about a, mo- a moment ago before you clarified the situation for me. Um, it does it seem like this is, it, it, it's a little shitty. Um, I really hate the, uh, overdramatic bent he's got here. You know, like you said, um, saying, I guess I can set my entire relationship with the guy on fire and just saying somebody tossed me a noose. That is never a, um, acceptable way to, and a what what is essentially an internet query or you know just even in a, a, a call for help i don't think that's mm-hmm. ever a fun thing because i just get the sense that he's being incredibly overdramatic about the situation mm-hmm. so call out where it's due greg's a little shitty here um but also yeah if if greg's relationship with pam is so fragile that 
the parental input matters. And to take it a step beyond that, if Greg's relationship with Jack is so fragile that you can build up all of this goodwill and then it's, oh, tangible evidence that my adult daughter has sex with her adult boyfriend gasp then yeah there are some bigger problems that you're you're not going to be able to work through if you can't work through this like what are you going to do just be beholden to this family and this parental relationship for the entirety of your relationship that's ludicrous and that's not how it's supposed to work so i can understand the dad being upset absolutely you know i've i've never had the um awkward misfortune of having one of my uh partners you know my my wife or any girlfriend i've ever had in my life i've never had the misfortune of their father catching us doing something so i can't speak from a place of i've been through it it gets okay man but it's gonna be okay man uh, the the real thing here what the fuck do i do you focus on your girlfriend you focus mm. on your actual tangible relationship you get him her input you ask how she's feeling about the situation you know all all we know is that she's talking to her parents we have no idea what her mental state is or how she feels about anything I don't think you need to come at it from a place of rage or a place of I told you this was going to happen look what you've done you more just need to love the hell out of her like you say you do and you don't want to break up with her so don't break up with her make sure that the relationship you actually have the thing you actually have like your fingers in is okay and that was a gross not pun intended (laughs) (laughs) oh you just made me gut laugh andy (laughs) i'm so glad you make sure your relationship's okay and together you can work on the parents yeah It's going to be really awkward when you see them again, whenever that is, it's going to be awkward for a couple of times after that, but there is a way to handle this with maturity. And that is just what you need to do, Greg. Andy, I think that is beautiful advice. I I love that you want to center Pam um, and definitely have, you know, you know what, Greg, follow Pam's lead on this. I think that might be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know what kind of relationship Pam has with Jack or with with her family. And, you know, maybe she's it, it's entirely possible she's going to sit here and be like, oh, my God, after that, um, I don't think I can be with you anymore. Yeah. And, you know, you don't. Andy's right. You don't tell us very much about Pam um, other than she didn't store y'all's homemade porn the way you would have. And she has a dad who you seem to have made good impressions with. Um, Yeah, dude, talk to her, follow her lead on this, except that they're assuming that's not the case, except that there will be awkwardness with her dad. Her dad may never get over it, but if her dad never gets over it, that's his problem. You know? You you focus on your relationship, being there for her. This is probably very traumatic for her. 
Um, and hopefully her dad can be mature and not be a shitty Robert De Niro character about it all. Yeah. No, I mean, I, uh, never loved the meet the parents universe, but for the sake of the joke, we don't want any sequels here. Hmm. So if you have a relationship question or you know what, if you see some, I'm going to open this up. I think we've done this before. If you see, if you troll relationships.txt like we do, if you, if you stay on uh, any sort of internet or Twitter message board that like goes into stuff like this and you see something where you really want to know, Oh, this is a mess up situation. I want to see what Alex and Andy have to say. Or if you have your own question, please send those into love, hate relationship podcast at gmail.com where we promise we'll read them. Absolutely. I love that. Uh, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even tune in radio. Hey mom. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not going to put you through any discussion of previous things with any of my old relationships. Um, <laughs> You can also rate uh, or review us on any or all of those platforms. It does help people find the show. Uh, You can also tweet us at LHRpod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D to follow us and uh, keep up with new episodes. That's right. You know, uh, in the opening segment, Alex referenced my other podcast, Cult Fiction. I I watch, um, you know, cult movies with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson. At time of recording, the latest one to go up was the sci-fi classic Primer, and we actually really enjoyed it and had a good conversation. So you can find cult fiction everywhere Alex just said you can find LHR, and if you like movies, give it a listen, because even when it's a bad movie, we make it fun, and I think uh, fairly often we find ourselves surprised by a movie being better than we thought it would be. You can also find me, Andy Bowell, at Jovocop2113 on Twitter. That's right. And I'm at a underscore X underscore R U I Z on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. Um, I am not, in fact, contributing to the TikTok musical, but um, I, I don't know. I'll probably you would, like if they called you, yeah. I'm sure you would. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. How about just like a like a 60 second bass solo? There you go. <laughs> Uh, Thanks for listening, y'all. As ever, please tell your enemies. (laughs) 